Welcome to Holy Human, where we bring disability and neurodiversity to the pulpit. I'm Katie. And I'm Serena. And today we are interviewing Travis Eberhardt, the one, the only, one of the most famous actor members in the church. <laughs> We're so happy to have you today, Travis. Thank you so much. Yeah. So, Travis, will you just give a brief introduction of yourself for those who somehow haven't heard of you? <laughs> <laughs> My name is Travis Everhart. I am I'm originally from Utah and living in Austin right now, and I'm an illustrator by profession mostly right now, but I've done some acting, as you alluded to. I've been in a few church films and then a few other films as well, and have a disability. My disability is called osteogenesis imperfecta. It's basically a brittle bone disorder, so my bones break easier than your average Joe, I guess. There are a lot of different severity types of the disability. There are some people who are actually able to walk and they're, are pretty average height, and then there are some who are very, very severely disabled, and so there's kind of a broad spectrum. You guys are probably kind of young for this, but the film Unbreakable with Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, yeah. Samuel L. Jackson character actually has osteogenesis. Oh, Okay. Okay. In the movie, he has it. Yes. Not in real life. Yes. <laughs> not in real life. That's a whole conversation we might go in today about <laughs> representation. Yeah. And then do you use walking aids? Um, I'm in a wheelchair most of the time. I am able to stand up and I can kind of walk if I'm holding on to something a little bit, but not very much. And I don't, I don't really do that to get around. So I use a wheelchair. Okay. Even in your house too? Yeah. I mean, 100% of the time. Okay. Cool. And then... For your disability, I've heard a lot of different ways that people refer to people that are disabled that are shorter in stature. Is there a preference you have in how people refer to you? Are there any terms that are offensive? Um, typically, I'm pretty low-key as far as that goes. I don't get really offended too easily. But to me, I guess it kind of depends on what the reason you're referring to it is. Because I guess in my mind, it's like, I'm just a person and so I don't know that there's you know so it kind of depends on I guess the context there might be a reason for whether you'd refer to me as a little person or whatever but generally speaking it's just kind of like unless that's applicable somehow to the conversation then whatever okay that's good to know and also claps for your answer because we feel similarly like disability people feel like they have to point it out all the time and you're just a person you know <laughs> exactly right. like, yeah yeah Okay, so our listeners might be surprised to hear that you don't have an accent because most people know you from 17 Miracles. <laughs> I actually like looked up some of your other shows. I found like this thing that was like a couple clips of your acting in other movies and I actually thought you had an accent. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow, that's nice. I, I always worried about, you know, especially like if you're doing it for British people or whatever, I feel kind of cringy to think of my accent. Nice to know that it sounded authentic. <laughs> to our untrained American ears, it sounded perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, I had someone from England, a woman from England, tell me that she thought I did great. I don't know if she's just been kind, but she thought it was pretty authentic. Oh, awesome. good. Well, let's jump into a couple questions. First off, you're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Did you join when you were eight years old? Or are you a convert? I joined when I was eight years old. Yeah, I come from a member family, so... Okay. Do you remember your experience being baptized? If there was any like access issues or anything? I honestly don't remember a lot. I mean, well, so my dad baptized me and I had to stand on a chair basically because I was 
too short. You know, I would have been under the water already if I was standing at the bottom of the font. So I guess that was a bit of a accommodation. But otherwise, I honestly, I don't remember a lot about it. It was a long, long time ago. I know. Yeah, it's kind of hard to remember. Yeah, that's good that there's nothing that like immediately you're like, oh my gosh. This. No. Yeah. 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 One question that I'm really curious about is what's your experience with church in general and how it intersects with your experience of disability? I, I'm trying to think back and I don't really, I've never had any real issues with anything. I mean, when I was a deacon, I was able to pass the sacrament. We just had another deacon. I was in a manual wheelchair at the time, so not a, an electric mm-hmm. wheelchair. But another deacon would just push me and I would hold the tray and, you know, pass the sacrament. So that was kind of different. But there was never a question as to whether I would be able to do it or anything. I don't know. People have always been very nice. I've never really had issues with feeling like left out of a situation. Do you feel like normal nice or like overly nice because of your disability? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. (laughs) I would say it kind of varies. I mean, one thing is, for my, the first 18 years of my life, I grew up in a very small Mormon community in northern Utah. People knew me like from the time I was born, basically, until I was 18. And so I think that they mostly treated me. It's hard to know in some cases, but I think it was mostly like just genuinely nice. I definitely have had my fair share of people treating me overly nice and trying to be, you know, overcompensate because of my disability. And I think I'm pretty decent at detecting that. Mm-hmm. But it, it happens within the church and outside the church, of course. Mm-hmm. But but I think for the most part, it's been pretty genuinely nice. Travis, do you feel like there's a difference in the way people who are members of the church treat you versus people who are not members of the church? Uh, that's a tricky one. I, I don't know. I, I, overall, I would have to say no. I can't think of any okay. specific examples. I will say this. I don't know if I can say this. I don't know if this is controversial. Well, Say it! honestly i like as far as the dating thing goes i have found that girls outside the church are a little bit more open to the idea of dating someone like me than girls inside (laughs) the church are which i think is surprising to a lot of people but i feel like and this is my own personal experience i think that the girls inside the church are far more like they have this idea of they want to marry their prince you know what i mean like they want this perfect Mm -hmm. this perfect guy and so i think that they're just my personal experience has been that they're a little bit more closed-minded than girls outside the church i've i mean i've had experiences where people inside the church were didn't do something that maybe i thought that they oh as a member of the church you should be a little bit more like aware of this and sort of helpful and they weren't and then i've had people you know members people who are not members be very very kind and helpful who you Mm -hmm. think oh, you you know, I didn't think you'd be this way because you're not a member. That sounds terrible, oh. but you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you mean like ministering stuff or just general like courtesy or? Um, b- both, honestly, like, yeah, just general courtesy and ministering, like just like making sure, I don't know if I should say this because I don't know, <laughs> but like just recently, you know, with, with the Texas storms and stuff, yeah. I mean, I had some people who checked on me it was non-members and I didn't have mm. some people who were members who I thought maybe would have checked on me who didn't. Mm. And, and I'm not, I'm not trying to like, that's not an anti-church thing because it's all about the person and not about the church. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's, mm. it's, it's a mixed bag, I'd say, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you find Texas more accessible than Utah? No, I do no? not. Um, yeah. And I, I, it's always fascinating to me because the governor of Texas 
is in a wheelchair. I've heard about him. <laughs> yeah, he's a, it's, yeah. I live in Austin and I always thought, like I came here just a few years ago and I thought, well, it's the capital of the, the mm-hmm. state. And Texas is like one of the big power players. And so I assumed that things would be a little bit different, but like parking lots are just gravel and not paved and there are sidewalks mm. that just sort of end and go nowhere. And No! Yeah, it, there's just a lot of things here that I'm kind of surprised by. Like basic access things. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The infrastructure here is not as good as I expected it to be, which maybe that's on me because of my expectations, but. No, 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 no. <laughs> Don't go into kid. that. Basic access is basic Basic access. things, yeah. Like yeah. basic things. Like should there be a ramp off this curb or should it just drop off into nothingness, you know? And, yeah. Oh man. Oh my gosh. So with Serena's question that she asked, I'm wondering if in a spiritual sense, if you feel like you have a connection with your testimony and your disability. Yeah, I mean, certainly there's got to be some connection. And and I think that as I'm getting older and I'm kind of trying to, I don't want to say rethink, but sort of navigate my testimony. I mean, we're doing that throughout our whole lives. Yeah. I I don't want to say like my disability is directly linked, but I think every disabled person at some point and probably every person, really, but certainly a disabled person has to say, like, why am I this way when you see other people who are not? And it's a not a healthy way to look at the world generally, but I think that you sort of tend to question, you know, certain things as to like, Definitely. well, I read in the scriptures that God is this way, but if he's this way, then, you know, why would this be the case yeah. and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. And not even like, I know a lot of people will say, well, if God was real, then bad things wouldn't happen. And I understand that that's not true. The point is, I, I think there is some connection, but I'm still honestly figuring out what that relationship is for me. It's kind of an evolving thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Even me, I feel like it's been changing my whole life and it'll shift from a more positive view and a more negative view. And it's back and forth for me constantly as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, the different experiences you have in your life tend to sort of inform your testimony and whether that's related to your disability or not, then that kind of plays a part in it. Related to that, do you have a particular scripture that is your favorite that kind of ties in disability or at least just how you view yourself and your identity? Or concept or doctrine? Yeah. Right after 17 Miracles came out, I did a lot of firesides and stuff like that. Mm. That's cool. It's based on Doctrine and Covenants 121. And so Uh that's kind of a good overall scripture about the idea, you know, Joseph Smith is in prison and and it's just kind of this idea of why am I going through this hard time and why, basically, God, where are you? Like, why aren't you here? And so I think overall that scripture is pretty good at Uh, dealing with some of that stuff, but I don't know that that's my favorite, but that is a good one. uh Okay. And then with your career, what's been your biggest highlight? Right after I graduated from BYU, I started working for the church as an editor for uh, about 12 years overall. Wow. Yeah. And I have a lot of things of that. You know, I did projects with them that were really kind of fun and cool. World Report, I don't know if people watch World Report anymore. Mm -hmm. It was a show that was on in between conference sessions. Yeah. I edited that for several years. And so that was kind of something that was neat because it was something that a lot of people saw. And then I, you know, I did some acting. And I mean, 17 Miracles is probably my biggest film role. I've been in, I've been in nine films and some of them like, are with some sort of B or D list actors, but they weren't really good films. And I think 70 Miracles overall is probably, you know, the best Mm. film that I've done. I get recognized for that more than anything else. So I'd say that's a pretty big highlight in terms of my acting career. 
I illustrated a children's book that I thought was really fun for somebody, and I've done a lot of illustrations. What draws you to both illustration and acting? In general, just the creativity. I think being able to create something out of nothing and make something that other people can look at and enjoy is fun. And that's the case both in acting and illustrating. Mm -hmm. They're two very different jobs, really, because acting, you're so much working with other people and you're, you know, Mm -hmm. playing off of them, but also you're on set and you're with the crew and there's a lot going on and it's just kind of a creative buzz. And it's just a lot of fun to be around certain people and to hang out and to be able to be a character, you know, to put yourself and be somebody else. Illustration is a very, very lone, solitary job <laughs> where you just sit in your dark room by yourself and draw. But they both, I get to create this thing and make this thing and, and use my brain to kind of say, how would this object look and what am I going to do to it? And the same with a character, you know, like, what am I going to do with this character to build and create him? Wow. Do you believe that 17 Miracles did a fair job of representing disability accurately? When I did the film, I started speaking at some firesides with T.C. Christensen that I mm-hmm. wrote and directed 17 Miracles. He had mentioned that there was actually a guy in one of the companies who was kind of put in charge of a group of disabled people. I think the term was invalids at the time, which, you know, whatever that means. You know what I mean? We don't really know, like, what that included for sure. Mm-hmm. But there was basically a group of people, more than one person who had a physical disability that went across the plains. There've got to be other stories out there. Interesting. Yeah. It was really cool for me to hear that because you just don't hear that. Yeah. Any church film or any book or whatever that you read, you don't ever even think that that is the case. What I loved about 17 Miracles is that that was included, period. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The fact that that was represented at all, I think was really cool. And I think that it's an important story to tell. How many of those people actually made it across? We don't really know. My character yeah. was not, spoiler alert. But who knows what the real story was. And maybe the reason you don't hear much about it is because maybe most of them didn't make it very far. I don't know. But mm. the fact is, there were people, more than one person with a disability who who did make that attempt. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting how that was a conversation in the film. Like your character, Albert, had to kind of prove himself like, I can do it by myself. I'm not going to, you know, be a quote unquote burden to you to get across the plains. Right. And that's the whole different difficult conversation. But the fact that people try their best to get across the plains, it is unfortunate that we don't know those stories. Hopefully they're documented somewhere and they'll come out in some way. We're talking to the disability office of the church right now and trying to figure out if there are resources to tell the stories that are kind of going untold right now. So if not, Katie's going to write a book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're going to find a way to find these things out because, oh, my gosh, as hard as it was to cross the plains, doing it with a disability, I can't imagine. I cannot imagine. Well, Uh and it's sad because I don't know if you knew by character, PC named him Albert because in the journal entries, that TC found about him, he wasn't even named. So he wasn't mm-hmm. even a person, you know what I mean? It was other people's journal entries that they'd mentioned him. And I guess at some point they did find out, one of them said that his name was Robert Pierce, but that wasn't found out until after TC wrote the film. So my character's name is Albert, not Robert. But my point is like, yeah, it's, to me, that's kind of sad that like this person, he was just kind of a footnote. Yeah. They didn't even mention his name. It was just like this person who was crippled, I think is some of the words they used and he was lost and then they found him and then he died later. I'm sure it's hard to do the research. You would assume that some of them had families that were with them and they would have, you know, yeah, been some documentation. But it just seems like, my point is like, it's, it's hard to do the research because 
some people, my character wasn't even named, you know, like no one even knew who he was. Wow. Yeah. We just, in our last episode, we talked about how Joseph Smith had a child with a disability who passed away and same thing. It like his disability is described in a footnote and it's really, well, really hard to find. And in, in anti-Mormon literature. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Funny enough. And then in Lucy Harris also, we seldom hear about her disability. And so, yeah, it really is. We, you have to really dig deep and read between the lines and like get really scholarly about it when you're trying to find stuff on disability. So I, I honestly, I'm sad that that information isn't readily available, but I'm glad that they're there. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that even though we have to dig deep, it's there. We just have to uncover it. And mm-hmm. I think that's part of our mission is to uncover that and, and show that to the to the church and to other members. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking to this, did you have a say at all in how your character was represented in the film with a disability? Or did you want to say? Or how did that work? Overall, I guess, no. I mean, the script was written for me. And there were a few times when TC kind of encouraged or asked me to ad lib. I mean, like, for example, this was Seventeen Miracles, where they pull me out from the wolves and they put me in the wagon and are taking me back to camp. Mm -hmm. Like, what I said there, TC, was like, just say, like, say what comes to your mind. Just ad lib some stuff. But overall, the structure of the film was pretty much written already. And, you know, I guess the way I portrayed the person overall could have been, uh, well, it was interpreted by me, but there was a structure of the script and stuff, and I had to say certain lines and do certain things. And so... I don't know, maybe he would have been open to it if I would have said something, I guess. But mm. um, it was pretty much, it was already kind of written out is basically what I'm saying. Okay. So there, the, there's one scene that I am not a big fan of in 17 Miracles. And I would say that I didn't necessarily have a say in it because I didn't know exactly what it was going to be until I saw it on the finished product. And that's the, the scene at the end where I'm sort of an angel and I'm helping to push the cart. Mm. Because I don't necessarily love the idea that I was portrayed as like a six foot whatever man helping to push this cart. I have certain issues with that whole idea concept. And I didn't know, like he shot me and he, he was shooting, he shot my head basically and had a green screen sheet over me. And I knew that he was shooting my head that he was going to superimpose over something. But I really didn't know exactly what. Uh, wow. I think his intentions, I'm totally not like bashing TC at all because I think that First of all, I think his intentions with it were very, very pure. Like, I just don't, I don't think he was trying to be insensitive or whatever, but I didn't really, I didn't really have a say in that because I didn't know exactly what it was going to turn out to be. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. Generally, the idea that the church puts out, I don't know if it's more culture or the brethren that put this idea out, but it seems like most people believe that there will be no form of disabilities at all in heaven. And we have an episode where we talk about how there could be forms of disability in heaven based on scripture that talks about how our desires will be considered in the afterlife. That's a whole concept that we don't really talk about, but it's definitely possible that there will be disabilities in heaven because a lot of people don't really see their disabilities as what people think like a disability is because of how people portray or view disability. It's always negative. But it's not 100% negative. Right. Yeah. For me, I don't know, my whole issue with that is, and this is not doctrine, so I can't, like, you know, but I think there's a scripture, this idea that you're going to be restored to your perfect form, right? And people assume, oh, well, perfect form, that means 
six foot five and whatever, right? Like, and, and, and that's kind of what I guess my issue with it is, is what is the perfect height? You know, mm-hmm. like I get that in this world, if you look at me and you look at someone who's six two, then you might say that he's more perfect height than I am. But especially in the eternal sense, literally God is omniscient and omnipotent. He could be eight inches tall for all we know. And it wouldn't matter, right? Because he's all powerful. Yeah. And so I guess my idea was like the idea that for me to become more perfect, I have to be more like you people who are all six feet tall. And like the idea that if you're six feet tall, then you're already more perfect than Mm -hmm. I am, I guess is something that was really kind of bothered me about that scene. And again, I don't think that TC, I'm sure that he didn't like think about that. I'm sure that it wasn't his intention to be yeah. you know, that way. So I, I'm not faulting him at all. And people love that scene, but I just feel like it's kind of this, this idea of what is perfect? What is the perfect height, right? Yes. Who knows what that is? Yeah. It may be six feet tall and it may be two feet tall and it may be 95 feet tall or, you know what I mean? Like in the eternal sense, that's such a non-issue that I just <laughs> kind of feel like it's a silly thing to, so anyway, that was my issue about it. Well, yeah, I'm glad you pointed that scene out. There's an assumption that we are imperfect. The concept of us being imperfect is based on what perfect looks like on earth when we don't know what perfect looks like in heaven. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And like, don't get me wrong. There are things I would change about myself. I'm not saying that I love this situation that I'm in right now overall, but I think that people think they're being very kind when they say to you, oh, in the next life, you're going to be able to jump and run around and it's going to be so wonderful and I don't know it's just this weird idea mindset that people have that what they can do now is the ideal thing and if you can't Mm. do it then you're somehow in this horrible situation (laughs) right like Travis one day you can be like me (laughs) yeah and it's just like I've never really personally experienced it but they might be thinking it where they expect you to have some great testimony of oh in the next life I'm so excited to be whatever. And I think it's a very narrow view of the reality. Mm -hmm. What would you say to those people? Like, how would you try to expand their minds in that moment? Um, I mean, (laughs) that's a tricky thing to to change someone's mind about something. I mean, to me, I guess it's important. I think it instilled the idea that there are a lot of realities. There's not one reality. There's not one right. I mean, yeah, that's hard to say in the church that there's not one (laughs) misconstrued but there's not one reality there's not one perfect you know what I mean like open your mind Mm -hmm. yeah and there's so much value to that we were put on earth with a purpose and all of us gaining these different perspectives and living these different lives do they think that that'll just go away in the afterlife like what would have been the point you know okay so do you believe overall in the film industry? Sorry, we're more focusing on film in this podcast. I know you do so much with your career, but we just feel like your portrayal of Albert in 17 Miracles, if someone didn't know anything about disability in the church, that's like one of the main things that someone would think of. Do you believe overall in the film industry that opportunities for disabled actors, writers, crew are growing, declining, or stagnant? I believe that they're growing. It's slow and that there's definitely some setbacks. I mean, it's it's really positive. You see some shows now that are, you know, I can think of one one show that I, I think is great in this. It's sort of a catch-22, though. It's Superstore. I don't know if you've seen the show Superstore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have a character in a wheelchair there. And what I love about that character, the idea that he's a state-stable person is not part of the show. 
Gotcha. Yeah. I think that we need more of that more than anything. The problem with that is the guy who plays him is not in a wheelchair and I don't uh... really understand that, but Things like that, I think, are the biggest thing. You have shows like Speechless, which yeah. I think was good in the sense of having storylines about other characters and not making the show so focused on, like, just the state disabled person. But then they did make his disability a part of things because that was sort of part of the show. But the fact that he was an actual disabled person, that's a huge thing as well. I'm seeing more shows where they have people with disabilities. And again, what I would love to see is not, for me personally, and every disabled person is different, but I think that the idea of having a character with a disability where the disability has nothing to do with the character, mm-hmm. that's going to be the, the best way to normalize. Yeah. And I experienced older people coming up to me in the grocery store who don't know me at all. They never met me. And they walk up to me and they just say, I think it's so great what you're doing. I'm so <laughs> proud of you. I'm grocery shopping. Like, but I think that there's uh, in a lot of places and not even older people in some places, but you know, the idea that you would see a disabled person out and about doing things, like just living their lives, is not something you would have seen 60 years ago, right? And so mm-hmm. I think that portrayed in TV and stuff that this is a person who, just like any other human being, has a job and has a pays the rent and has a girlfriend or whatever, like lives their lives to see that. And I think it's happening. Going back to your original question, I do think I'm seeing it more. When I was in Los Angeles, I fought the battle a lot. Like I would only get set out on auditions that were guy in wheelchair or little person. Mm. That was the description. And I think you become more of like a prop at that point rather than character. It's still a big battle. But I think that there are more and more things that are happening that are, you know, let's just include a person with a disability and have them be just a person in the world. Because that's how the world is. There are disabilities in the world. It's happening. It's happening slowly. I think it's going to continue to get better, I hope. I, I mean, who knows? I'll make it better. (laughs) I say that because I'm just starting my screenwriting career right now. So that question was something that was really on my mind, especially as I start like preparing spec scripts and trying to find an agent and stuff. And it's a challenging thing because I think that you're going to find in Hollywood people who are like, oh, we need to include a disabled person because that's the politically correct thing to do now. And I think Mm -hmm. that's something we have to try and fight and avoid mm-hmm. you know when it was I think it was like that in some regard back in history with black people and maybe some black people feel like it still is that way like oh let's put a black person in this so that we show yep. it politically correct and I think it's the same with disabled people like virtue signaling yeah yeah and I think that as a screenwriter and as someone who's going up in Hollywood you know you want to be careful because you might write a script that has a disabled person in it and they might be like oh yay this is great because now we can show that we're politically correct by doing this thing and you want to make sure that they're using your script because they think it's a valuable story yeah. because it's something that is going to give them brownie points with whatever wow. you know yeah oh, what a complicated thing especially since a lot of scripts at least feature films and stuff people bid on them and so if I have a script that's a spec or speculation script and I sell it I don't have any creative control on it afterwards so someone theoretically could take my concept with a disabled character and like completely warp it and mess it up so I'm trying to think about that myself like I have all these stories I want to write and a lot of them feature disability or neurodivergent characters I'm gonna write what I care about you know, once I'm done, like, delving in the depths of my soul, then I'll write about other people. <laughs> so that's what I'm writing right now. And then I'm like, oh, crap, I don't want 
want to sell this script to anybody because I, I just really don't trust an able-bodied or neurotypical person to portray this script the way I want them to. So I'm like, uh, not only do I have to like learn how to write, I have to like learn how to direct too. Otherwise, these are just going to sit in my computer and never see the light of day. It's, it's a scary thing because yeah, as a writer, especially you, you have no control, you know, once your script gets sold. But the best thing to do is to write characters that are so good that they mm-hmm. don't want to change them, you know, but that's, that's yeah. a challenge and it's kind of subjective, but yeah. <sighs> and, and I found as an actor, I found that it was hard to, like, there were some roles that I was offered and I thought, I don't really love the way this character is portrayed, but is it better to be another disabled person, you know, represented and do this thing just because it's going to get me out there mm-hmm. so that people can see this Billy's in film or am I doing more damage by taking this role that's sort of, you know, Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I play a leprechaun in one movie and I'm not like proud of that necessarily, but at the same time, like I was represented as a person. And so it's a challenge. Yeah. Do the ends justify the means sort of thing. You want people with your disability to know like, oh, there are people like me, you know, but you want it to be the right story. Yeah. That's so hard. And I totally agree. Like, let's jump into this question too. Do you feel like the church portrays disability well in that sense? Uh, I don't know how to answer that question. I guess I haven't seen a lot of disabled people portrayed. I saw very, very, very little disability in the stuff that I edited working for the church. But I don't want to accuse the church of anything because, I mean, this was a while ago. Plus, I was working on footage that was even older than that. I really don't know if it's gotten better or not. I want to be fair and I can't say that it's not good now yeah gotcha Uh, yeah I really don't know but I think there is a tendency I would say and and I again maybe I'm accusing and I shouldn't be but generally I think the tendency is when you portray a disabled person you're portraying them as a vehicle for us to learn how to be more Christ-like and I hate putting people in one basket but I think for the people in the church overall there is somewhat of the idea that you're here on this earth to help me learn a lesson you know what I mean Mm-hmm. And I think that that's portrayed somewhat, not like overt, but I think it's there. Yeah. I mean, if you think about when they're overlaying footage over the audio of a conference talk and it shows, you know, a family playing in a field with their kids or whatever, if it does show a disabled person, it's normally someone who's in a hospital room and they're in their bed and they're looking out the window and they're looking for strength from Christ. And I I mean, that's good. Like disabled people can do that and they can find power and strength in Christ. But if it's always that negative, like why can't the disabled person be playing in the field with their kids, you know? Yeah, that's just one story. Mm -hmm. Right. And and it kind of goes back to the idea of like a disabled person is just waiting for the next life. They're just sort of there hoping and dreaming that Christ's love will help get them to the next life so that things will be better for them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of a sad Yeah, and I have a lot of, like, thoughts and ideas, but I'm very non-confrontational about it. Like, there are so many times when I feel like when someone comes up to me and says something, like, oh, I'm so proud of what you do, you know, like the fact that you're grocery shopping. Like, I want to say, what are you talking about? You want to be confrontational, but, like, in a lot of cases, they think they're trying to be even nice. Yeah. It's hard for me to, like attack someone when they know that they maybe their intentions are pure but mm-hmm. it's absolutely it's a subconscious cultural thing yeah it's really hard when responsibility is put on you because you're like this could be their only interaction with a disabled person ever and you feel like you have to 
be kind and represent goodness. But, you know, if it happens almost every time you go out in public, it's exhausting and it's so frustrating. Yeah. Do you think that there's anything concrete or practical that could be done policy-wise or um, structure-wise that could help I mean, I, I guess as, as far as creating the lesson plans, you know, the structure that they give, the church gives to be able to create lessons. I think, you know, we talked about like conversations about the resurrection and things like that. Yeah. And I, it's such a tricky thing because you know, I said, no matter what the church does, they're going to upset or offend somebody. And so it's challenging. But I think the idea of just in the lesson plans, maybe saying that we have no idea what the next life is going to be. I'm so glad you made that distinction because I feel like what we know about the afterlife is so minuscule. It's like a little tiny baby view. It's literally the eternities we're talking about. But this little tiny vision that we have of it based on revelation and scripture, people are like, well, this is what it is. You have to think about like how a person makes assumptions. It's based on their experiences and in a society that is overall racist, ableist, homophobic, you have to realize that the assumptions that we make don't go untouched by those things because of the society we're raised in. So when people look at the afterlife and be like, oh, there's not going to be LGBTQ people, there's not going to be disabled people, there's no specific thing from the top from leadership that specifies whether that's right or wrong. So assumptions are made. And then that's the culture of the church to believe that way. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it's a complicated thing when this is like the dominant narrative that's being shared it's difficult to challenge it because there's so many different tiny things that feed into it that are just normal in people's eyes but it does exclude some people yeah yeah Hmm. okay and then this is a really broad question so answer it however you want if you could tell an able-bodied person member or not anything about your life as a disabled person, what would you express? The idea that disabled people are just people. And it seems like such a, like a simple thing to say. I hesitate because there's this idea of, okay, treat disabled people like other people. And that's not what I'm saying. In a way, you're still in your mind thinking, this is a person that's different, but I need to consciously treat them the same. But I'm, I'm saying, think of them, don't think of them as someone you have to consciously treat the same. Like just understand and know that like I'm a human being and I have a job and I have an apartment. Like I do the same things that any other human being does. Don't treat me like I'm a disabled person who wants to be treated normally. Just treat me like a person. Gotcha, gotcha. (laughs) Well, I, I love that because if you think about like, what's the biggest barrier to disabled people? I mean, you know, there's like cultural barriers. There's a lot of different kinds of barriers, but it comes down to access ultimately. But if you think about it, if an able-bodied person is struggling to open a door, an able-bodied person, normally a different one would say, oh, here, I'll help you and open the door. And it's the same with disability. If someone's struggling with something, help them. If they're not, don't get in their business and try to like harass them, you know? And that's a really important distinction because I think people think that what I'm saying is, okay, well then don't help a disabled person if they need help. Like if someone's struggling with a door, help them because you're a human being helping another human being who's struggling, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I personally, I'm able to open most doors myself. And I've actually tried many times, I'll go ahead of someone and try and open the door for them. But because the way I do it looks like I'm struggling, 
people run ahead and they'll grab the door and like hold it for me. And I'm like, no, I was getting it for you. And they're like, no, 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 go ahead. And like, I was just trying to, you know what I mean? Like they automatically assume that I need the help. But I, I drive the van. I have a van that I drive and I have a ramp that I put down. And people always will come up to me and be like, as I'm putting it up, they'll be, do you need any help? And I think to myself, like, what do you think I do if, if you didn't come along? Like, do you think I just sit here and wait? Like every time I need to use my vehicle, do you think that I just wait for someone to come along and help me? Right. And then it's so likely that they wouldn't even know how to do it, you know, but they just feel like they have to offer their services. Like they're being kind, right? They're helping. It's so hard to like chew out somebody for offering their kind service, but it's just such a weird idea that I can't do it without you. Like, how do you think I live? You know what I mean? They're not thinking in that moment. Or they're thinking in a very, very narrow scope. Yeah, I've definitely also come across people who take that opposite approach and be like, well, I'm not going to treat you any different. I had a roommate. He was white and male and able-bodied, and that's all you need to know about him. But we used to go to the gym across the street. So I have cataplexy. Lots of things can trigger my cataplexy, which will cause my muscles to collapse. And one of those triggers is working out too hard. And I would work out, but then I would, like, not be able to walk after the workout. I remember being so mad one time. He kept walking in front of me, and here I am just struggling. Like, my knees are bending. I keep squatting to the ground, and I had to be like, bro, can you please help me? Like, I need to hold on to your arm. And he just, like, spouted off something about equality. Yeah, it's ironic to claim equality when you're acting in prejudice against someone or you're not helping someone. People, man, people. Yeah. Travis, is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to speak on about your experiences or anything else? <laughs> Not that I can think of. I, I, um, I think we covered a lot of different ground here. It's been nice. I appreciate the honor of being asked to do this. Oh, well, thank you for joining us. We really, really appreciate your time that you gave us with everything that's going on in Texas recently. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> thank you. It was crazy. It's good now, though, so I'm back to normal. Good. Thank you so much. Please follow us on Instagram at holyhuman, W-H-O-L-Y-H-U-M-A-N, on Facebook at Holy Human Podcast, and our email, if you want to collaborate or send us a review, is holyhumanpodcast at gmail.com. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash holyhuman, and thank you to Matthew for supplying our intro and outro. We accessed it through freesound.org. And thank you to all our lovely volunteers who help us transcribe our episodes every week. We'll see you next time. Bye. Holy human. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Shane is down. Oh no. You made me count. <laughs> How has no one made that joke yet? Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Ah, <laughs> oh, Travis, you're a keeper, man. Thanks. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs>